Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're in the middle of a sermon series called I Could Never Believe in a God Who... Um, we're five weeks into this series. Um, we did how we came up with it. So we had a po- we had a poll, and all sorts of suggestions came up. And in the last few weeks, we've gone through several different topics. Uh, the first one was I could never believe in a God who hides Himself. Uh, then we had is so angry. Uh, I could never believe in a God who cares more about sex than sex trafficking. Last week, Joel Ken from Anchor Church he delivered a ripper message talking about um, God always siding with the powerful. Um, I would recommend you, you hit up the podcast if you have not listened to that message. Really great. But this week, we are talking about, I could never believe in a God who has followers like the Christians I know. I could never believe in a God who has followers like Christians I know. But before we do that, let's just pray for a bit and uh, see what God has for us, eh? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for you that you've given us your word that is living and breathing active, that your word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith. Uh, Thank you for your perfect character which is seen in scripture. I pray that you help us see all of your fullness, all your goodness and your glory. Open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, Lord Father. Spirit, I pray that you do a work in us, and um, as we approach this potentially touchy topic tonight, I pray that you convict us, and you comfort us, and you change us by your power. Lord, before I even preach today, I, I confess my sin, toward, uh, my sin and my hypocrisy to you, that, um, that I pray that you speak and not me, I pray that you increase and I decrease, and that may Christ be magnified and exalted in the proclamation of your word tonight. Pray that the words of my, heart, my mouth and the, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, I could never believe in a God who has followers like the Christians I know. There's so many different things going on with this particular statement. Firstly, we need to really find out what, do we, what does it mean by Christians I quote-unquote know. There's lots of assumptions here. It's really dependent on the person claiming this particular uh, objection. It depends on their context or their experience. Um, and, but we can assume that the proponents of this particular objection is not referring to the ones, those Christians who are too loving, right? You never hear the term, gosh, I hate those Christians. They're so, so loving all the time. <laughs> but when you hear about this objection, you always hear it in the, in the context that it's always something about a Christian doing something that seems antithetical to or contrary to what God is or, or what God says that these people should be doing. Uh, there's a quote attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, and he says this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. And I actually did a bit of research into this particular statement, and supposedly there's no actual evidence that Gandhi said this, but there is a similar quote that appears from an Indian philosopher of the same kind of era in the 1920s. His name is Bra, uh, Bra Dada, and he says, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. 
in researching for this particular talk, I was um, just Googling and stuff, and I came across a Huffington, a Huffington Post article from the 24th of November last year. It's written by a guy named Francis Maxwell. He's a political correspondent for the Young Turks. Um, and the title was called Exposing America's Biggest Hypocrites. And I'll read you just an excerpt from the, from the opening paragraph. It says this, Ah, Christianity in America. Or should I say, the single greatest cause of atheism today. You know who I'm talking about, right? The type of people who acknowledge Jesus with their words and deny him through their lifestyle. I give you the most hypocritical religious group in America, evangelical Christians. This article essentially calls out Christians who are also more than happy to label Democrats as adulterers or immoral when they fall from grace, i.e. Bill Clinton, but are more than willing to stand by and support Republican-leaning Senator candidate Roy Moore who was a former Supreme Judge and he was accused of sexually assaulting two teenage girls. But you don't have to look at history or you don't have to look across stateside to see um, or to hear these experiences of Christians of disrepute. If you have a church background, if, you're, if you used to go to church or, you, or if, you're still, if you still go to church, basically if you've had any interaction with any Christian in any point in time, it is very, very, very likely that you've come across a Christian that doesn't sound like a Christian. There's something fishy going on there. And you might have heard these kind of labels, the Sunday Christian, people who come to worship on a Sunday but then live their lives not in submission to God's word. You hear terms like fake Christians. Do you, be, like, do you ask them, do you really, do you really believe what you, you, you're saying? Or are you just going with the flow of what everyone else is saying? Or the self-righteous Christian, like Ned Flanders, who claims to have an upright moral character with their actions, but try to really force down their morality down someone's throat. Not to mention those who practice what they, no, they, don't, pre, they don't practice what they preach. When people say, I could never believe in a God who has followers that the Christians I know, people are ultimately rejecting Christianity and God on the basis of their experience of incongruent contradictory, hypocritical Christians. You would have heard things like, they're so judgmental. They've, they think they're better than the rest of us. Christians say that they love everyone and, don't, and they want to get along with everyone, but they don't, can't even get along with themselves. Why are they so divisive? Christians are just about rules and controlling things. Stop forcing your moral values. But are these legitimate reasons for not believing in God? Is it okay to discount Christianity on the basis of its believers, particularly if, particularly if they're flawed people? Is it valid for someone to not believe in God because there is an inconsistency in his followers between the inconsistency between their worldview and their actions? Before I really address this question tonight, or this, or this objection, I really want to just acknowledge something right off the bat here. If you're, if you're here and you're listening to this and you have this objection or if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, I want to firstly thank you that you're actually even here, that you're even, even willing to listen to this. Um, I recognize that, you, that you, if you have this objection, you might have had some sort of experience with Christianity that wasn't really positive, um, whether you see something in the news or in the public or if you've experienced it per personally firsthand. Um, I know this might be a sensitive topic to some of us here because of the potential hurt that we've had in the past, but my hope and prayer for you is that this might be the beginning of a conversation, that this might be the, the beginning of a discussion uh, for you about who God really is. 
whether you call yourself a Christian or spiritual but not religious or you're just not Christian at all. And obviously I won't be able to address every single kind of offence that Christians have done in the past. But for us Christians, I guess when we get this objection, um, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, is there any basis for this claim? When anyone, ma- anyone makes a truth claim, you always have to ask, is there any basis for that? And yes, Scripture does actually address how Christians are meant to behave with integrity. The Bible has lots of things to say about that. I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, Proverbs 11.3 says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the, treacher- of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 12.22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, and those who act faithfully are his delight. Luke 6.24, Jesus says, You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. 1 John 2, 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John 4, 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he has, uh, for he who does not love his brother, um, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. James 1, 26 says this, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but does but deceive his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage you to read Matthew 23, um, the seven woes of the Pharisees. I'm not going to go through the entire chapter. Actually, I'm not even going through the chapter today, but just encourage you to just read it. Jesus, in this chapter, goes on a tear. He, goes, uh, he, te- he says these seven woes of the scribes and Pharisees, and they get absolutely wrecked. By, by his words, for their false and hypocritical leadership. I could go on and on and on. A lack of integrity, by the Bible standards, is a bad thing. Jesus would agree that it, integrity is, a lack of integrity is a bad thing. And I would argue that, well, I don't even need to argue, I'm pretty sure if you go outside the four walls of this church, the overwhelming majority of our society would universally say that hypocrisy is a bad thing. In 1993, renowned American West Coast urban theologian Ice Cube put it this way, so chickety-check yourself before you wreck yourself. Your hypocrisy is universally a bad thing. And I'm sure for the majority of us Christians, we've heard this objection before. When polling for this sermon series, I don't know who raised this particular this objection in the first place, but when I hear this from people, it often comes from people we, we, that we would call de-churched. De-churched are people or those who have some experience of church but have walked away from the faith, oftentimes because of poor experience. I find that de-churched people leave the church for several reasons. Sometimes it has to do with their struggle with God and faith, but most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, it's been out of hurt that's been caused by the church and its people. And the severity of those hurts range widely from really, really insignificant to crushing blows. And interestingly, Jesus has some poignant words about this in Matthew 18, 5 to 6. Let's get this on the screen, eh? Matthew 18, 5 to 6 says this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever, doesn't, but whoever causes one of these little ones 
uh, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I'm just going to put a bookmark here for a second in Matthew 18. Uh, the context of this verse, Jesus is talking to his followers um, about approaching him with a childlike faith. Um, and he says that uh, whoever causes these little ones or these other people to come to him, um, to believe in him, to, to, to sin, uh, in Greek it means to, to stumble. The, the, the CSB translation actually puts it this way, um, that causes them to fall away. Yeah. Jesus is not actually talking about literally about kids here, but he's talking about uh, referring to followers of him that have a childlike faith. Um, if, and Matthew here is talking about uh, if one of Jesus' disciples causes one of these children, these little disciples, to stumble and fall, he's actually telling them to go neck themselves, to kill themselves. To, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the, by the depth of the sea. <laughs> that's, that's crazy talk. That's, for us, for our modern sensibilities, we think, like, come on, Jesus, keep it G-rated. Like, this is, that's, that's extreme, man. You might be thinking, wasn't Jesus like a, like a soft guy? Wasn't he a gentle dude with, like, patting lambs and, and like, saying hi to kids and patting them on the head and stuff? But Jesus tells them to literally neck themselves. <laughs> Jesus takes this directly causing someone to be led astray from faith very, very, very seriously. I don't think Jesus was talking just about someone teaching heresy. I think it's more than just that. I think it's Jesus is actually saying anything that causes them to stumble, anything that causes them to, especially someone who's new and young in their faith. And so, for us, we might not be, might be up here preaching the word, but it might have something to do with how we talk to each other. How we handle, how do we handle things when, when we sin against each other. How we might say the right words, but say them poorly. How we stand for truth, especially in public, but handle it without grace or compassion or kindness. Like this, the last couple of weeks have been a firestorm on Facebook, if you've seen the political and theological debates that's been happening lately. And this, and this happens for, this accounts for Christians speaking to non-Christians and Christians speaking to Christians. Paul instructs us in Colossians 4, 5 to 6 in this way. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In this part of the letter of the Colossians, to the Colossians, Paul had just finished instructing the church about how they are to interact with each other and how they interact with people outside of the church. And Paul calls them to what? Walk in wisdom. That means to be aware of outsiders and to be sensitive to what they might be feeling or thinking. To be gracious, to, that meaning to be willing to give charity and to be patient and with being perhaps misunderstood 
and to be also willing to learn and earnestly seek the understanding of the other. And thirdly, he says, for, our, for speech to be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? To have, to have speech that is winsome and wholesome. Talk that has flavor, so much flavor that it makes people enjoy talking to you. Talk that is life-giving and not soul-sucking. There's a video that's doing the rounds on Vice News at the moment. Uh, I would really encourage you to, uh, to look this up. It's on YouTube because for, for about five minutes. Just type in, what is the future of evangelicals? Uh, it's by Vice News. Um, and it actually features Matt Chandler. Um, and one, one of the most poignant things that he says in this interview, this five-minute interview, is that he says, um, he's referring to the de-churched here, and he says, to be right the wrong way is to be wrong. To be right the wrong way is to be wrong. Now you might be thinking, man, this is all gloom and doom, eh? But don't get me wrong, there are, there are Christians who do great things. I'm hoping all of us do great things for not just ourselves, but for society. Um, when, people reject, uh, people, when, when people reject God because of the followers they know, the question sometimes we ask is, well, what about the followers that they don't know about? Now, I'm not going to talk about that particular concern tonight because we can go into heaps of detail about that. Um, there are heaps of resources that talk about the positive impact that Christianity has had on our society, has had on education, in medicine, and the betterment of, um, of society, and, and length of life, and quality of life. And that's a whole other can of worms, but we're not here to talk about that today. If you want to look at something like that, I would really suggest um, uh, uh, there's a recent documentary called For the Love of God that was produced by the Center of Public Christianity. There's a four-part series that's actually online right now. You can check it out on, at betterandworse.film. And this, this documentary talks about how Christians have done horrendous things in the name of Christ, but also have done some extraordinary things for, for, in the name of Christ. People such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King. However, this rejection of God is not about the good people or the people that we like. It's about the followers, quote-unquote, the followers of God that we don't like. The Christians, quote-unquote, that I know of. When people say, I could never believe in a God who has followers like the Christians I know, this rejection is about the wrong things that Christians have done in the name of Christ. And there have been times and will be times, I dare say for all of us, that as Christians we have been hypocrites. Regardless if it's intentional or not. An unintentional hypocrite is still a hypocrite. Some of us, and I say us as in like the broader church, are aware of our hypocrisy, and there are some of us who aren't. And sadly, I'd argue that some of us Christians revel in this hypocrisy, although I'm sure these Christians would argue that they're not being hypocritical at all. And when it comes to Christians who deny blatant hypocrisy, it is very easy for us to distance ourselves and protect ourselves from associating with them. And it makes sense because we don't want to be associated with bad people because it looks, makes you look bad and makes Christianity look bad. But if we, approach, if we approach these particular people 
uh, with this objection uh, this particular way. It's not actually really helpful at all. Um, it's a classic case of the no true Scotsman fallacy to say that this person really isn't a Christian and therefore can't be counted. And it's true, the Bible is clear on what Christians are and how, how Christians are to behave. Scripture is clear that the marks of a Christian, um, especially those who are found in Christ and are mature, are to be holy like he is holy, to walk in step with the Spirit, to put to death our fleshly desires, to grow in Christ-likeness, to be salt and light in the world, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. But it is not entirely helpful to classify people as quote-unquote, not Christians, and therefore don't represent Christianity, for two reasons. Firstly, if we do this, we ultimately aren't actually, aren't actually talking about God himself. We end up talking about someone else's faith instead of the real issue, the issue that, of rejecting God. It doesn't help the person with this objection if we begin speculating about the authenticity of the supposed person they're talking about or if we minimize their hurt or disregard their hurt. And when you think about it, regardless of whether this person is actually Christian or not, the actions of this person, of this supposed Christian, actually has no bearing on the character of God and who he actually is. And secondly, if we start to distance our way from Christians solely based on their actions... If we really take it to its nth degree, let's think about this for a sec. It means that no Christian, absolutely no one, is able to fully represent Christianity properly with absolute integrity. And that means that no one would actually be worthy of actually being called a Christian if that was the case. And this is a problem because, as Christians, Christ calls us to be ambassadors to the world. So how do we do this? How do we do this? This seems like an impossible task, and when you think about it this way, how do we how are we to reject this? How is how are we to address this rejection of God that people have? How are we supposed to live well enough with enough integrity to persuade and convince someone to put their trust and belief in Jesus? How do we do that? You can't. You you, you simply cannot do it. It is impossible to live the perfect life with the utmost morality and absolute perfect integrity. No Christian can do that. No one can do that. It's so easy and natural to value and treat someone by how they act. And it's no surprise that people judge Christians by how they behave. This should not surprise us. This should be expected. But as Christians, it raises the question then, what defines us? What makes a Christian a Christian? How does scripture define someone being Christian? There are a myriad of different scriptures you could use, but being a Christian is not defined by what you do, but rather it is defined by the relationship you have with God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, 23, 25. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. A Christian is someone who is in right standing and right relationship with God. Someone who has recognized that they are sinful and have, are separated, by, separated from God. Someone who is saved not by their works or deeds, but are saved by having faith in the saving work of Jesus. This Jesus who lived a perfect life that we could not live. And in a beautiful cosmic exchange, he appeased the holy and just wrath of God for us. And we, and we know our sin debt is taken care of because Christ was able to fully satisfy God's judgment and rise from the dead. And our standing with God is not just neutral, but because of our faith in Christ, we are benefactors of his holiness and his, and his perfection. We are, when we are found in him and Christ, he has imputed his righteousness to us. So before God, we are seen as holy and spotless and blameless and perfect in right relationship with him. This is what it means to be Christian. For you and your value to be found and wrapped up fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the crazy good news of Christianity. This is what it means to actually be Christian. Now you might be thinking, Tran, I'm pretty sure you just said beforehand, the Bible calls us to be holy like he is holy. What, what's the deal, man? What's the deal with that? And that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that question. The Christian life doesn't stop at you become a Christian and you say this prayer and sick, I got my ticket to heaven now. In fact, that's a very self-centered, reductionistic view of the gospel. That you would get God to wipe clean your cosmic debt and you get to use him to get into heaven because you didn't want to go to hell. But that's what most people think what Christianity is. That's what most people think Christianity is. It's so much more than that. What does it say to God if we just have our debt swiped clean and then we go ahead back and purposely go back into debt? Think of a bank. Imagine you had a massive credit card debt and they just wiped it off. And the next minute you go spend 10K on some, 10K on something, shoes for example, I don't know. Is the bank going to get the impression that you're grateful? When we understand the gospel, and we get to know the character of God more deeply and intimately, we can't help but be changed. And this happens, can happen quickly, but for most of us it happens quite slowly. It takes a lifetime. We call this the doctrine of progressive sanctification, that we uh, live out the holiness God has given us through Jesus Christ that we are to be conformed and shaped and molded into the image of his son, to be redeemed back to be the image bearers that we were created to originally be, to look more and more like Jesus every day. And truth be told, when you, when you become a Christian, you don't, just, you don't just stop sinning and stop being a hypocrite, but that's why Jesus died and that's why we must remember the gospel at all times. Jesus died for that. And this is where I think a lot of churches get confused. 
between doing good works for salvation versus working out of our salvation. I think many parts of our Western society's understanding of Christianity is lost in this confusion that they can save themselves. Not to mention our human, natural human thinking wants to believe that we can do enough to satisfy God's holy wrath. We want to be self-reliant, not trust God, and especially when it comes to our standing towards him. We think as humans we have to pick ourselves by our bootstraps and be a better person. I mean, it is true, you can try to be a better person, but that's not enough. And to think you can is foolishness. It's folly. And to try so, and I mean this quite literally, to try so is actually damn crushing. There's nothing you can do to earn your value or righteousness before God. The Bible calls us not just being a bad person that needs to be a good person, but rather the Bible calls us as dead people that need to be made alive again. And there's no wonder that some people reject God on the basis of poor integrity of Christians, especially if they think Christians can earn their moral standing with God. Think about it. If people, if this, if people God, if the people that God loves are these hypocrites, um, because uh, no, if people love, if God loves these hypocrites because of their good works, quote unquote, then God must have some seriously low standards, right? He, or he can't be that good, or he doesn't exist. But this is why we need to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel at all times in all of our lives. We must reclaim it by the words we say, how we say them, but also declare them that we believe them in how we think and how we act. No one is absolutely adherent to their own belief system. For example, we all think that lying is a bad idea, right? Why, why do we still lie? I don't know of a religion or a worldview that champions hypocrisy, but yet we all still do it. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, agnostic, atheist, we all still do it. We all act sometimes outside of the fr- our, our worldview, our belief system, or our moral framework. All of us do. Are you, you might be thinking, are you calling me a hypocrite, Tran? Yes, I am calling you a hypocrite. I'm calling you a hypocrite. I'm calling you a hypocrite. I'm calling you a hypocrite. Everyone's a hypocrite. But, when, but we, when we admit our sin and hypocrisy, we get to point people to Jesus. When we admit our sin and hypocrisy, we get to point to Jesus. In 2016, I remember seeing this video online on Facebook. Russell Moore, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, he wrote an op-ed article in the New York Times about the way the 2016 presidential election was being run. And Donald Trump tweeted a response saying, Russell Moore is truly a terrible representative of evangelicals and all the good they stand for. A nasty guy with no heart. And on the day of the tweet, Russell Moore was on CNN and he was asked, what's your response to this? And he says, I am a nasty guy with no heart. We sing worse things about ourselves on Sunday morning. I agree with that. That's the reason why I need forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. There is no faith like Christianity. There's no God like our God. No no God patient like our God because God loves the hypocrite. God loves the sinner. 
And we know this because since God has shown us his love for us, that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of our sin, past, present, and future. We are far worse than we think. I don't know about your thought life, but sometimes when I have a weird random thought late night at three in the morning, that sometimes scares me. The, the depravity of my mind scares me sometimes. And this isn't self-deprecating because it's true. But God loved us first before we could love him or attempt to do anything for him as if it were adequate anyway. As a Christian, even after you get into a right relationship with Christ, you will still continue to sin. But the crazy thing is that God knows this and the cross is a sign that he knew and he was willing to do it anyway. The sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful king of the universe knows this. But how merciful and how glorious is God that he knows and still continues to choose to love you and forgive you, not because of who you are, but because who he is. This is the God of our faith. This is the God of Christianity. Now, if you're thinking... If you're a Christian and you're feeling really convicted about your sin or hypocrisy right now, let me just point you back to the gospel. That God knew and Christ still died for you. We never, ever, ever, ever graduate from the gospel. We never leave it. It is the foundation for all of our lives. The gospel always leads us back to Jesus and repentance. And when we are enamored by his, his glory and his beauty, the power of God's spirit changes us from the inside out. He has given us a new heart and transforms us by the renewing of our mind. But Christian, we firstly, what we need to do is we need to own our sin of hypocrisy and give it to Christ. In the admission of our failure and sin, we declare our need for the gospel. In the gladness of our repentance, we proclaim our acceptance of the gospel. In the humility of our deeds, we demonstrate the outworkings of the gospel. We need the gospel. If you're not a Christian here tonight, and I'm appealing to you tonight, especially if you've given up on God because of the followers who claim to follow him. Um, the truth be told that you and I are no different from these hypocrites. We're all sinful when we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But if God didn't love the hypocrite, how stuffed would we be right now? If Jesus didn't die for us, we'd be done for. But the thing is, Jesus did die for us, that we might have unending joy in knowing our creator and having Christ as our treasure. If you've been hurt by the church before or by people claiming the name of Christ, let me say that I am sorry for that. So grievous was the sin made it, done against you that Christ died for that. Don't, don't, don't forget that. Christ died for that sin that was perpetrated against you. I'm not excusing what happened to you. But I plead with you to seek and see God for all he is because he does not change. 
regardless of what Christians may or may not do in his name. And if you're looking for a person who is able to represent God with absolute perfection and integrity, I want to point you to the one person who was able to ever do that. In John 14, 8 to 9, it says this, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the only one, the only one to perfectly represent God. If you want to judge the character of God by looking at a person, may I invite you to look at Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Christ. Thank you for the gift that he is. Thank you for sending him down, even though we were still sinners, that you paid the debt for us. There's nothing we can do to earn our, to earn our standing with you. Help us as Christians to live integrity, live integrally, um, live, by your, live by your spirit, live according to your word. Help us point people to you at all times. Help us preach the gospel with our lives, with our words, and our deeds. I pray for all the times that I, I will for all the times that we've been hypocritical when we repent of that, Lord Father. We, we thank you for um, just who you are and that I pray that you, you be big in our lives, that we don't forget you, that we be reminded of your goodness, that your goodness was the thing that, that pushes us towards repentance. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you yet or who have rejected you because of the base, on the basis of our poor witness. Lord, we are thankful that you are the one that saves. But Lord, help us to uh, be agents of reconciliation, not just between uh, uh, us and them, but between you and them. We thank you for Jesus and all he has done for us. Be our treasure, Lord Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.